The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 17. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings Found in all the Star Trek t- TV series, movies, more, and more and more that's coming. And today uh, we're continuing our overview of the Star Trek series by discussing the next one in the in the line, Deep Space Nine. Uh, very excited to talk about it because this may, and I think it's a it's unanimous, it maybe our favorite of the Star Trek series so far. Uh, and when I say our, I'm meaning that joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Great. So uh, before we get into Deep Space Nine, I just want to remind listeners that uh, we're finishing up our uh, 2018 SQPN listener survey. Uh, We're looking for feedback from the listeners on what we're doing, what we could be doing, what we could be doing better. Um, We want to hear from you because what we're doing is for you. We want to reach reach you and and with the things that you want to listen to. So um if you could go to if you have not already go to sqpn.com slash survey and fill out the survey. Um it should only take a few minutes. It's a number you know a number of questions, but um some of them are sort of open ended so you can put as little or as much as you want. Others are just click a button. Uh but uh, shouldn't take you too long. And as an incentive, we are going to be giving away to two uh, random uh, participants in the survey. Uh, we're going to be giving away a $50 gift card to Amazon. So you could go out and buy uh, DVD sets of uh, Star Trek seasons, perhaps, uh, or something along those lines. Uh, so if you can go to sqpn.com slash survey, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. So <clears throat> Deep Space Nine. Um, am I right? This is this is my favorite. Is this uh, unanimous? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. all kind of agreed on that, definitely. It, not not that it begins that way, but it definitely goes yeah. <laughs> that way. Right, right, right. Like a lot of the uh, series, uh, they it gets better over time. So let's let's sort of set the the uh, the the background for this. The mm-hmm. you know where where we start with this, and which is it starts in nineteen January of nineteen ninety three. Um, mm-hmm. It's it was when it started to air, and it was in syndication. Direct to syndication, just like the next generation was, um, and <laughs> it uh, it um, was set in a space station. The idea was purposefully to make this different from the next generation, which was still airing already. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was, in fact, next gen would go on for another couple of seasons after this to get its full run in, and. It was. They decided to set it on a space station. Uh, one of the yeah. things that's sort of distinct. And, and, 
Go ahead. And, and, there, and there's plot logic behind that because you need to distinguish each series from every other series. Otherwise, you know, right. people will say, well, we've seen this before. What what makes this any different? So the thing, I mean, most of these Star Trek series are set on a Federation spaceship that has mm-hmm. military and exploratory functions. So what makes them different? Well, after the first one, okay, the next one, well, uh, it's the next generation. So everything gets a little bit of an upgrade and you get new characters. And 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 Voyager, what's different about that? Uh, they're lost. Enterprise, what's different about that? They're first. Um, right. And so you have some significant shift in what's happening. And this one, the shift is we're not on a spaceship at all. We're on a space station. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it's and by putting it on a space station, it changes things a, a bit. Um, it's it's this season. This series is darker than next gen. Mm-hmm. The, the, the storylines are not just physically darker, but like the storylines are a bit darker. Um, you have more conflict between the characters and in general. Um, yeah. What it was famously one of Gene Roddenberry's rules for Star Trek was no conflict between the Starfleet crew. Um, yeah, you know they'll the bicker and argue sometimes good naturedly, but not like real dramatic conflict between them. Yeah, and one of the reasons, and this is, was one of the criticisms of Deep Space Nine, but it's actually one of its strengths is that it does violate Gene Roddenberry's vision. And the only way it got made was because Gene was dying at the time the concept was pitched. Right. Um, mm-hmm. If he had, if he had been, if he had lived and been in good health, they wouldn't have been able to get away with everything they got away with. Right. Even then, they're still constrained by the Gene Roddenberry vision in a way that more recent projects like Star Trek Discovery are not. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but they were able to break out of the Roddenberry mold enough to inject some better storytelling. Yeah. Another th- another thing the space station setting does is it lets them have recurring characters uh, who are guest characters in a way that's harder on a spaceship because on a spaceship, the guest cast is is largely going to be drawn from whatever planet you're visiting this week. And here, because we're always in the same spot, we can have this larger cast of recurring characters in and out of the plot and build them over time. So not only do we have a rich ensemble cast, but we have on Deep Space Nine a rich extended cast that we eventually mm-hmm. get to know really well with characters like Lita and Rom and Nog and the Grand Nagus and Moogie and all those people. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and my one of my personal complaints with DS9, you know, I say it's my favorite and it truly is. But, you know, the first couple of seasons, yeah. they got a very soap opera-ish, yeah. you know, because it was focused on this small group in this, you know, one space it really did kind of feel like a soap opera for a while. Now that that's not to say there weren't good stories told as part of this soap opera, and it didn't set the basis for what we then saw in the the Cardassian Dominion War, but it took time to get there, and that that really was kind of its weakness starting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, early uh, on it was very episodic. It was just like Next Gen, pretty much, and uh, mm-hmm. the original series before it, and like a lot of series at the time, it was story of the week, Alien of the mm-hmm. Week, Ship of the Week, whatever it was. Um, but starting around that time where they they encountered the Dominion and had some of those storylines building, that's that's when it, they grew the mythology and the story arc 
that really right. carried them through to the end. Uh, and of course, you had the, the story arc of the Bajorans and the prophets and all that that were slowly being built as well that played a much more prominent role in later seasons. Yeah, although it's interesting how they handle Bajor, um, because originally it's kind of like our exotic planet that we're supposed to fall in love with and find right. interesting and stuff. And I'm like totally bored with it. Um, <laughs> what what I find interesting is not Bajor. What I find interesting are individual people right. from Bajor, like Kira and the Kai and mm -hmm. um and and Gul Dukat's history with Bajor and things like that. Right. It's the character driven stuff from Bajor that I find interesting. The planet itself is a backdrop, and other than they mention it's really beautiful and occasionally show us a picture, I'm not that interested in Bajor. Yeah. As a as a planet, you don't want to um, settle in Dakar Province after you retire. In Dakar <laughs> Province, no, I don't think so. Uh, I, I I have this cabin there. I'm planning on not building. Yeah. Um, the, and and some of the Bajor stories early on, because originally that before the Dominion and everything, that's what they had to tell stories about. So they did a lot of Bajor stuff that was pretty boring, and some of it was just dumb. I remember this one episode where. Miles O'Brien has to become the ritual storyteller for a village. Oh, oh yes. Uh, that was, was hard to one watch. Of the, one of the worst episodes ever. Yeah, that was hard to watch. That was that was that was yeah. not the a good Dalrog one. confronts the village, but the village is strong and you know, <laughs> oh, it was just awful. <laughs> tell the story of Darmok and Jalada Tanagra. Uh, that would be better. Speaking of <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> you know, speak, well, speaking of Bajorans, one of the things that we we get from this, which is a problem again, probably due to the fact that this is the first series without Gene Roddenberry's direct influence, is religion on Star Trek. We have, right. yeah. a, you know, in, in previous series and in other places, you know, religion is kind of uh, hokey and we, we dismiss it as a uh, superstition. But in, on, well, in Deep Space in Nine. Next, in, in Next Gen, we get other, I mean, and there's a, there's a covert story that Gene Roddenberry keeps telling about we meet God and he's not that great. Yeah. Um, mm. But but we do have positive references to religion in the original series and in the animated series. Mm. Um, but in terms of any kind of sustained treatment of religion, that really right. starts with Deep Space Nine. Right. Right. And so we have the Bajoran religion, which, um, again, it's sort of partially religion, you know, partially treated seriously because what we have are the wormhole aliens that the Bajorans right. treat as their gods. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, which makes no sense if they're calling them prophets. Prophets speak on behalf of gods. They're not gods. Right. Right. Exactly. So little religious illiteracy on the part of the writers <laughs> there. But at least at least there are people who I mean, you have a variety of religious experience here. You have very mm -hmm. you have very uh, you, to, to kind of trans transliterate uh, some of our own language. You have orthodox Bajorans. Mm -hmm. You have liberal Bajorans, you have uh, Satanist Bajorans. <laughs> exactly. You have, you have uh, religious leadership that's all about the political advancement of themselves. Others who are very holy and about, you know, like you have Kaiopaka, who's the, the holy saintly Pope S. And you have the, the, the John the 23rd of the 24th century. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then you have Kai Wynn. We won't say who she's uh, the of the 21st century. <laughs> but you, you know, fill in the blank there. Fill, yeah. fill in whatever blank you like, depending on your historical. Uh, uh, well, she might be a Borgia Pope S. 
<laughs> you know, it's 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 interesting too, though, that you know a major component of the this the series long storyline is Ben Cisco's journey from being basically a flat out typical Roddenberry Starfleet. atheist yeah. to in to really in, embracing almost the Bajoran right. religion, even understanding that these prophets yeah. that they worship are just aliens. But he still embraces a lot of the elements of the religion. You know, when he first started out, he struggled with it, but he really began to embrace it. And and his story arc, unfortunately, is tragically aborted right at the last minute. I know. Because, oh. of, because of Avery Brooks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, do you have do you want to say more about that? Can you like the people might be? Interested yeah. In so so as as we go through spoiler warning, 20 years later, um, <laughs> yeah. at 25 years later, um, as we progress through the series, uh, Ben Cisco does begin to embrace more and more his role as the emissary of the prophets. And we even discover his mom was a prophet. And so he's half prophet himself. And he's warned that if he marries a human woman, Cassidy Yates, that there's going to be a big price to be paid. And he goes ahead and marries her mm-hmm. anyway. And she becomes pregnant. And the original ending for his character, what the price was, was he was going to become a prophet and he would thus have to abandon her and her child. And it's a logical and dramatic and, you know, not entirely predictable end point for his character, which makes it good turning Mm -hmm. Ben Sisko into a prophet at the end. And he's now got to go to the celestial temple and say goodbye to everybody. That would be a great ending um, for his character. But, um, given that he had married Cassidy in the show and they, she was now pregnant with their unborn child, Avery Brooks says, and Avery Brooks has a, a lot of concerns about race, even in mm. the 24th century said, no way am I as a black man abandoning my unborn child. That's just the wrong message to send. Mm. And he applied a 20th slash 21st century social situation onto that and refused to do the ending um, that had been planned. And so they rewrote it so that instead of uh, becoming a prophet, he's just going to off to be trained by the prophets for an unknown period of time, but maybe back with Cassidy at any moment. And it right. really takes all of the drama and the tragedy mm-hmm. out of the ending. You know, what's interesting is, is in the books, which continue the continuity. And I don't know. I don't know if it's like Star Wars where they have or where it's official continuity or not. Um, but where they continue the continuity, he comes back. But he and Cassidy end up uh, divorcing because mm. of the pressure of this prophecy about uh, the, the 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 bad end that is coming uh, because mm. of because of the what they did. Um, I, hmm. I haven't kept up with all the books, so I don't know if eventually they reconcile. Just hints that it might. So it's it's an interesting take on it that the that at least the somebody within the Paramount uh, of, uh, area has taken with it. But uh, it's it's interesting that he he had that. I mean, I, I applaud that he doesn't. He wants to provide good uh, male fatherhood role models for African Americans. That's that's a that's yeah. A great that's thing. 
That's but, good, but, but it dramatically, subverts this story. <laughs> yeah, but dramatically, right. it subverts it. Yeah. All right. Speaking of of Ben Cisco, we, I I don't want to skip talking about uh, a key thing that that he starts with, which is we we talked about you know oh no conflict so, among characters, but he starts out with hating the beloved Captain Picard, which is a very yep. risky um, uh, a maneuver, a risky decision by the by the producers. Uh, mm-hmm. To start out their new series with this character, who's their lead, hating the lead of the other car- uh, series, and the reason he hated him is because of when Picard was uh, at Look Wolf, to Sabord. Look, Wolf, Wolf three yes, five nine, Wolf three five yeah. nine, and and that's when Cisco's wife Jennifer died uh, in that battle because of Picard, and and it, and I think Cisco knows it's not necessarily rational because that Picard was taken over by the Borg, but nevertheless, still bears this grudge. Uh, it's an interesting beginning to this character, mm-hmm. and sort of sort of shows how the things things would go in this series, sort of unexpectedly. And it is a flaw because you can't blame Picard for his actions at Wolf Three Five Nine. He was not in control of himself, um, but it shows the it shows the interest that the writers have in the psychology of Cisco as a right. character. And um, and the fact that he's not entirely rational and that Mm -hmm. goes through the rest of the cast. All of the characters on the show, all of the recurring characters have various have have complex personalities with sharp edges and they clash the sharp edges against each other, which makes it so much more fun. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the big reasons why we say we like this this series over all the rest of them because the characters seem so much more three dimensional than previous and following series, yeah. shall we say? Yes, and, and even before the series really hits its stride, we have some complex stuff being done psychologically. There's an episode called Duet where it's it focuses on uh, Major Kira the Bajoran liaison to the station and uh, a, and a, and a Cardassian war criminal who mm-hmm. comes aboard the station. And we think that this guy is really a war criminal and it turns out he's not, he's just a card. He was like a file clerk for mm-hmm. the right. Cardassians and is, it has come up with this complex way of trying to atone for his uh, people's occupation of Bajor as he's dying. He's basically mentally ill in a sense. Yeah, but you have this intense psychological portrait where Kira becomes his caretaker and progressively learns more about who he is and what his motives are as he's in the process of dying. And and part of the resolution to the plot is, is she going to stick by this guy who's fundamentally on the side of good um, or is she going to be so disgusted with him? She's just going to walk away and let him die in pain. Right. You know, and, and Kira's character as a whole is very interesting as they developed it. Cause of course she was a part of the, the rebellion. She was part of the resistance against the Cardassians. And of course, eventually her character develops to the point where she is the person in power, at least as far as the station is concerned. Yeah. And there are a couple episodes that really hinge on that with her struggle with, I was the person fighting people like me. Yeah. And, and in fact, they make the point she was a terrorist and she would yeah. use terrorist tactics and then similar tactics get used against her. Exactly. And that 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 really makes one her one of the interesting characters because of that. You know, they she got to see mm-hmm. both sides of that fight. 
You know, speaking of the the Cardassians and the uh, Bajorans, that that relationship uh, between them, um, the, the the I've seen it in various places in various ways, especially since the the the, the Bajoran Cardassian situation was actually brought uh, created in uh, the uh, Ensign Row episode in uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Next Generation. Um, but I've seen the comparison it to various other oppressed peoples in in some places some people will compare them to um the jews uh historically right. you know uh, and others have compared it to ironically the palestinians in in another sense right. it sort of depends mm-hmm. on where you're coming from i guess um but but you could, this, you could have the bajorans as the irish uh, yeah. right exactly and and, and mm-hmm. in some ways they're all of them i mean the way that they that the writers develop the, the characters they become variously all of these different oppressed peoples that we know of historically. And it's very interesting. I mean, that's one, again, another one of the great parts of it is, is is that we see firsthand the struggles of a people who are standing up after they've been freed, not because, Mm -hmm. not because they necessarily, you know, won a war of independence Mm -hmm. like America did, but because the Cardassians were kind of done with them and just walked away. Uh, They got what they needed. They they used a well they the I, I don't know that I'd say the Cardassians got what they needed but you had a successful resistance that eventually wore the Cardassians out to where they voluntarily left um, and the situation is without a major war um, right. the situation actually is kind of like the liberation of Southern Ireland in certain ways um, so that's interesting. One the one character that um, that I really think is is great and gets better as we go along is uh, Ducat. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, Mark Ilamo's portra- portrayal of Ducat is awesome, especially as we get to know him and he becomes he he really he really is one of those villains who thinks he's a good guy. Yes, but he also is really a villain. Well, he he and, had lines where he talks about, "Oh, I was I was so gentle with the Bajorans. I treated them so well, and he was one of the more brutal dictators on Bajor." Yeah. Right. There's there's in particular an episode fairly late in the run, shortly before he turns to the Pyrrhites, where he um he and Cisco are trapped on uh on a planetoid. And it's and it's just the two of them. But by this point, Ducat's mental condition has deteriorated so much that he's hallucinating uh, Major Kira and Wayun and um, his assistant, who's named Damar. And mm-hmm. and they're all tormenting him secretly. And he's trying to hide it from Cisco. And it's such mm-hmm. an awesome episode. Yeah, there are points in the series where. Ducat goes from enemy to friend, back to enemy. I mean, he's all Object over the place. Pity. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, and in the end, he's just, he, he just loses it. He's insane. He's, in, he's possessed mm-hmm. by evil and insane and has destroyed his own people get the, by throwing him with the Dominion when he did. And I mean, just, it was such a, and I mean, another, again, another great Cardassian character is Garrick. I loved Garrick. Oh, yeah. One of my Garrick favorite characters. Awesome. The, the simple yeah. tailor. The simple tailor, yes, t- yeah. t- Tinker Tailor, soldier spy. You know, I mean that sort of idea. Exactly. Uh, I mean, he's he he just such a convoluted, complex character who is always going to scheme. Ne- nothing is ever the way it is on the surface, which is great because just, they always pair him up with Bashir, who yeah, is such a simple kind of guy. 
he just delighted in pulling Bashir along that, oh, yes, yes, I'm just a simple tailor, but I know things, you know. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, of I course, had we, him hopping. we know by the end that Garrick is, you know, he is a spy extraordinaire and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but, you know, he kind of he, he pulls us along through the story with him, uh, you, with this this this, this uh, cover story. Yeah. Um, yep. So uh, another one. Yeah. In in addition to the characters, you know, which we mentioned as one of the things that attract us to the show, one of the things that attracts me in particular is the story, the plot. Yeah. I tend to be very plot focused. And if something doesn't have an interesting plot, it's it's hard for me to get into it. <clears throat> but I love big, complex plots. Yes. And that's what we eventually get in Deep Space Nine. It takes until about season three or four for the plot to really launch. But yes. then we get a three or four year run of basically one story right. and it gets more intense. The linkage between the episodes gets more intense as we go, especially in the final season. They have like a 13 episode run that's just one chapter after another yep. with uh, with very little break between the episodes. And I really like that. It's the first time we see a war on yes. in the Star Trek universe that takes more than a two-parter to resolve, <laughs> yeah. which to right. me is like that's a skirmish or something. That's not a yeah, war. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, and and the war has costs. I mean, it is it is yes. a brutal war. People pe- people characters we see die. I mean, um, yeah. there's that one episode where Jake gets caught behind the lines and he's in a mm-hmm. basically a mash unit. In Starfleet, you know, exactly. Uh, there's another episode where what was it? O'Brien and Bashir and some others and Nog are stuck on this planet with a, the equivalent of Starfleet Marines, you know, in a right. trench warfare situation. I mean, they really grab the the costs of war by the yeah. lapels Nog, and hold on. Nog, Nog loses a leg. We have yeah. planets that we know, like Bajor, being taken over. By the right. enemy, uh, Beta, the Federation. Beta Zed, that one, yep. Beta Zed. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yep. um, I'm in Beta Zed. Yeah. Um, other, other. Uh, at one point, the Federation is basically losing the war. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it's very dramatic. I mean, and massive, mid- massive ship battles, and yes. it's really incredible. They, they, that's and that, again, that's a big reason why I think we like this show so much is they tell this grand story as part of it. The scale is so huge, I think, at times. It's a galaxy-wide story, which is ironic given the fact that it started out as people asking, well, how could it be interesting if it's all just stuck on a space station and they don't go anywhere? <laughs> I mean, it eventually becomes this huge story. But I mean, speaking of not going anywhere, they, 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 they set it on the space station to contrast with Next Gen, which had which was on a spaceship, and mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to have a spaceship basically until yeah, the next runabouts. Gen. They yeah, had the well, runabouts, which were a little fancier than shuttles. They were sp- yeah. basically bigger space shuttles. Uh, and then they ended Next Gen, ended its run, and then we get the Defiant, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. They, they added a starship, short range essentially, to to, and then we opened up some new stories. And with the starship, we got Worf. From next gen, mm-hmm. yes. uh, Michael Dorn, I, I suppose, wasn't over uh, uh, sitting in the makeup chair for hours a day while working. I guess you know. I I, I honestly wonder, kind of looking back, if that was initially a decision based on he wanted to continue the character, yeah, or if that was a decision on they realized he was a he would be a draw. 
It, it was more, it was the latter and only, and it wasn't the writers of Deep Space Nine. They did not want Worf. It yeah. was the network. The network yeah, and that said, doesn't surprise me. said he's a popular character. We want to boost the ratings. Let's bring Worf over. And the Deep Space Nine guys didn't, which at this point is being run by Iris Stephen Burr, yep. who's mm-hmm. a really good writer. It had, he had cut his teeth on Star Trek on the next gen and then become the, sh- moved over. He'd left for a while and then come back and become the showrunner for Deep Space Nine at this point. And he was like, his attitude, I've read interviews with him about this, and his attitude was, we didn't want Worf. We already had a cast. And what is he going to add, really, in terms of our character dynamics? He's he's pretty similar to the people we have already. I mean, Worf and mm-hmm. Odo or Worf and Kira, they're, you know, they're, they're playing in the same character sandbox, yeah. And um, and so, but this they, his attitude was okay. If we're going to get stuck with him, let's turn this into an asset. He also said, of all of the next gen characters, Worf is the one that would work best on Deep Space Nine. I mean, you can't really imagine Gates McFadden or Marina Sirtis becoming well, a regular. The only right. only caveat I would say on that, of course, is the one character they did bring over from. Next gen. Well, Miles O'Brien. O'Brien, but he was there. <clears throat> his attitude, because he addressed that, he said that um, he didn't have a problem bringing over O'Brien because O'Brien was l- somewhat a blank slate. Yeah. He had never really. He been was explored. a minor character. Yeah. And we got to then in Deep Space Nine build him out. But um, but Worf was already a known quantity. They There wasn't a huge amount they could do with his character until they paired him up with Jadzia, which was great. Yes. Um, but because of the introduction of the Klingons, they basically delayed the story by a season. Mm-hmm. Um, they had already been at the point of getting into conflict with the Dominion when suddenly they have to accommodate Worf and Klingon culture. And so they spent basically a year doing that before they got back to the main plot. Speaking of uh, uh, Dax, Jadzia Dax, um, we had this again, a, a, another big moment, which, uh, you know, we had the death of Tashiar in the beginning of uh, the next generation, but she was rel- she was still pretty new. So there wasn't a huge fan uh, affinity for her necessarily. Mm-hmm. But Jadzia Dax, they killed her off in the fifth season, sixth season? In oh. six, end of the sixth season. End of the sixth season, okay. After right. she married Worf, uh, they were married, mm-hmm. um, and and then brought the Dax symbiote back uh, with uh, with Esri, um, mm-hmm. right. and it was controversial. And and, and Terry Farrell, who played Jadzia, uh, didn't want to go. She made it clear, she's always made it clear that she, she didn't want to go. It was the producers wanted to write her off. They... Mm. Is that, yeah. is that is that off or it's it's well it's sort of in 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 it she wanted if I recall correctly she I mean she, I'm trying to remember exactly what her terms were she wanted an adjustment um I think it was she wanted to be able to take some time to do some side projects and mm. she, there may have been money involved but she had certain conditions that she wanted to continue and the produce the higher level studio people didn't end up meeting them. And Ira Stephen bear has said, if I had known that is what she wanted, I would have made it happen. And, and we would have continued with her, but it was kind of a miscommunication where 
the relevant parties were not all communicating in a way that they all knew what needed to happen to keep her. Right. Having said that, when she did go, I thought Esri was a great replacement. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would I would have loved to have Jadzia through all through season seven, but Esri was a good replacement given that they had to replace her. Esri was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm so I'm actually sorry we didn't get more of uh Esri. You know, we went from mm-hmm. ultra confident Jadzia uh right. to to very tentative uh Esri. And that was but yet the same person in where have we seen that before? What TV series have we seen? Yeah, I don't know. Gee, what could have been? <laughs> I mean, that idea of a continuity of memory and sort of of mission, uh, but different personalities. I mean, that's Doctor Who, right. and we we see that in it. And so this was a, d- a different way of doing that uh, in this. And that was that was welcome. I like that. And, so, you know, and they, they were both I mean, they were both great characters. And I do like the way they they filled out the trill. Of course, the trill we had seen in in next generation, but really didn't know a lot about them. We knew that they had the symbiote and that the symbiote yeah. went from host to host to host, but we really didn't know a lot about them. And they really filled out that race incredibly mm-hmm. uh, with, with the Dax yeah. symbiote. And, you know, again, to see that where a little bit of Jadzia's personality would come out, a little bit of her feelings and, you know, of course, the, the relationship between the Dax symbiote and Cisco and how that played out throughout the entire s- series. Right. Um I mean that was just it was it was a very interesting characters. So uh we could we could talk for a lot longer on T Space Nine because there's so much more and I have a lot more notes. But uh I kinda wanna yeah, And we will, just not right. in this episode. Right. When, yep. as we go through <laughs> the individual episodes in the future, we'll a lot of this stuff will come up and we'll we'll talk more about, you know, Odo and the the Ferengi and, and everything else yeah. in your universe. We might uh, just have to do an episode of the Ferengi in DS9. <laughs> I mean, there's so much you can talk about them. What, well, and how it improved the Ferengi uh, from yeah, next yeah. gen. But I don't, that would be, we've almost gotten a tangent. That would be another episode. <laughs> but I do want to say uh, one, one thing is um, there is a deep space nine documentary that's been made and is in post-production uh, called hmm. what we left behind. And it was created uh. by, the former showrunners, Ira, uh, uh, Stephen uh, Barr, is uh, created it. They got access to all the archives. They had a lot of the stars were involved. I don't know if Avery Brooks was. I've never seen him in any of the uh, in the uh, promotional material. They did a Kickstarter for it, so I didn't see him in the Kickstarter materials. But uh, they might have got him for interviews or something. But certainly everyone else, um, Alexander Sadeg, um, uh, Terry Farrell, uh, Nana Visitor. So lots of people, uh, who, who did come up. Um, gosh, we didn't even talk about the, 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 uh, holographic nightclub. Uh, uh, oh, Vix. Vix. Yeah. Oh, my, we, that's gonna, that's so much up. more. So that's much, so more. much more. Anyway, uh, so just to, I, just to say that it, that documentary they said will be out by the end of the year. So that's cool. You know, it, in fact, we're recording this, uh, prior to, uh, October. Uh, so it may already be out. I don't know. Uh, but they did say by the end of the year and that they're hoping because they're redoing some of the graphics, some of the special effects uh, from DS9 in high def format for this documentary. They're hoping that it kind of uh, gives a goose to Paramount or CBS or whoever owns the rights to the DVDs now uh, in the streaming uh, to do what they did for Next Gen and the original series, which is to redo the the special effects and to do the redo the whole series, but frankly, in high def, um, you can watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine on um, Netflix and I think on Amazon too. But it's in the old uh, uh, format, four by three format, so it's uh, it's mm-hmm. not as uh, not as good as watching the other series uh, is at at the moment. So uh, let's hope. 
So, um, yeah. any last thoughts, uh, Father Corey? Any last thoughts on Deep Space Nine? Nope. How about you, Jimmy? Nope. I think that's good. All right. So I get then that's it from us. Uh, what did you, the listener, think of Deep Space Nine? Is was it your favorite series? Was it not your favorite series? I'd love to hear from people who didn't like Deep Space Nine. That would be interesting to to get your take on it. Um, uh, but. But we'd love to hear any opinion on what we thought or or uh, on the series as a whole from your opinion. So you can do that. But let us know. Go to sqpn.com slash Trek or go to the SQPN Facebook page. Either way, find the today's show uh, listing uh, and leave us a comment. Leave some feedback. You can send us email to trek at sqpn.com. Uh, also, if you could go to iTunes and give us a uh, five-star review that would help us uh, raise the profile of our podcast up in the, in the rankings of amongst all the other Star Trek uh, podcasts out there. It would help us get some more visibility and reach a, a larger audience. And for that, we would be most grateful. We're already grateful for those of you who've done that. Uh, we also, if you could uh, like on Facebook, uh, share it to your the, the podcast, your friends, retweet it, all those other things. Uh, if you have Star Trek uh, fan friends, let them know we're doing this and that they might enjoy this. So we'd, we'd really appreciate that. So uh, we'll be back next time uh, when we'll be discussing uh, an overview of Star Trek Voyager. And uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. I'm glad to be here. And thank you, Dom. Uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, I will learn to live with it. Because I can live with it. I can live with it. Computer, erase this whole entire personal life.